So I want to talk about the fear of the Lord in the next few weeks, and I'm going to start out of Psalm 2. Actually, even before I get into that, I was, while we were worshiping, and Wade was singing new wine, the Lord dropped this, this into my heart. But over the weekend, I was talking with, with Greg Goldcap over here, and uh, Greg had watched this video about right after World War II, it's World War, not World War, it's World War II. And so after World War II, um, the, was it the government that gave seeds out? So the government gave seeds out to people to, to start gardens, and they called it Victory Gardens. And... I felt like the Lord, what he was, and so they, you know, you plant these seeds, they teach you how to plant the seeds and how to grow a garden. And I just thought it was, I was like, that is fascinating. And I love the name Victory Garden as well. But as we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord was saying, in this season right now, God's giving us seeds to plant. And it's, he wants us to plant a victory garden. If, you, if you've read Song of Songs, it talks about your intimacy with God being a garden, your life with God being a garden, and, and it talks about you got to get rid of foxes that can ruin the garden. Uh, you know, it talks about being hidden in the garden and the, and the Lord coming into that place of intimacy. And so the Lord's giving us these seeds that He wants us to to germinate that will get they're going to give us victory. And you have to, and for each of us, it's been probably different, a few different things or and a few things that are similar that He's been teaching us in this season. Maybe it's more trust. Maybe it's about provision. Maybe it's about intimacy. Maybe it's about rest. Whatever it is. It's he's given you seeds and maybe you've planned it, started planting them, but you've got to continue as as you know, even if things start to become more and more normal, we can't there's things that God doesn't want us to go back to. He wants there's things in this season he wants us to take with us. So maybe, I, you know, I know one guy texted me, he said, I've been reading my Bible more than ever before. Take that with you. Take that with you. Maybe you've been going on walks, and that's when you talk with the Lord. Take that with you. This is part of God building a victory garden because um, if anything, times are like, there's just going to be more shaking in the future, right? And so... We don't know what it looks like, but we know that God says that we, he's given us a kingdom that can't be shaken so that we will shine as lights in the world. And, they, and people will look, you know, we're meant to live lives where people look at us and like, what are, how are you not shaken? How are you not shaken? And I think it starts, first of all, with no, having no fear of death. That's where it starts. In Hebrews, it says that we're held bondage to the fear of death. So when you don't fear death, like David Hogan, he, he said he settled a long time ago with his wife because they do dangerous mission work in, in Mexico where you have drug cartel. And even the indigenous people are hostile sometimes. He said they settled it with all of his family. He's like, listen, I could die any day. I just want you all to know that. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And they've actually, he has died, and they've prayed, and he's been resurrected, and vice versa. He's prayed for family but with that being said, they, that's the mindset that they have is like, we can die, but he, they don't fear death. And so when you don't fear death, it's, 
it just breaks all these other things off of you. But anyways, cultivate that garden that God's been doing in you in this season and take it with you. Take those seeds with you. So I'm gonna, I want to show just a, this is like a 10-second video clip that we'll loop a few times of something that happened a, co a couple of days ago in, in Portland. So you can go ahead. So these are Bibles being burned in front of the federal courthouse in Portland. All right, you can stop it. And so this is uh, leading into Psalm 2. If you're familiar with Psalm 2, which we're going to go through, this is exactly what Psalm 2 is talking about. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Psalm chapter 2. Why is it important to know about the fear of the Lord? Well, it's in the Bible a lot. It's in the Old Testament and New Testament. In Acts chapter 9, actually, it says that the early church went about in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what that's saying to me is you can have the fear of the Lord and the Father's heart love message <laughs> together. And this is coming from a guy who one of the greatest encounters with God I've ever had was about God's unconditional love. So the fear of the Lord and God's love are not, they're not like these two different people, right? It says in Psalm 25, it says that God preserves his intimate counsel for those who fear him. So that intimate secret place where you lay your head on God's chest, it's for those who fear the Lord. That's where, that's where that place is reserved for. If you fear the Lord, then you will actually have an understanding of being able to come and recognize it's like my daddy is powerful now my dad whenever he told me to get up in the mornings early on like 7 a.m saturday morning he says my mom would try to get me up and i'd be like and she tried two or three times nothing happened my dad would stick his head through the door he said get up boy What are we doing today, sir? You know, but uh, but I love, and I remember telling my friends, I was like, man, I'm so thankful for my dad, man. He didn't let me get away with nothing. I ended up, I mean, there's times where I was like, this is horrible. And but at the end of the day, I was thankful for the way my dad raised me. And so, um, there is part of the reason that the church needs the fear of the Lord now. I want to speak, kind of my audience is like the American church that I'm talking about. Because people don't know, who don't know Jesus, why do you expect them to act any way else? These, the people that are burning Bibles, it doesn't excuse them at all, but they don't know Jesus. There's no fear of God. And, God, and, and, the, and the scriptures talk about that. It says, you know, there's no one, you read through Romans chapter 3, it says there's no one righteous, there's no not one, they... There's poison under their tongues. They, you know, they do all these things that there's no fear of God before their eyes is what it says. So these people that were burning Bibles, there's no fear of God, right? And so 
the fear, why is it important to have the fear of the Lord is that when you have the fear of the Lord, there's actually unity in the fear of the Lord. So imagine, how many of y'all have read Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about have this attitude in yourselves, that of Christ Jesus, who became a servant even and became obedient to the point of death, and therefore the Father gave him the name above every name that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Now imagine that picture at the end of Philippians, that that scripture, every knee will bow. So if we all took a knee right now, and then if we all said Jesus is Lord together, that's unity, right? Every knee bowed, every tongue confessing. And so in the church, judgment starts with the house of God. So if the world needs the fear of the Lord, it's, got to, it's because the church is not showing it. And so we, we do have a consumer mindset in the American church. And there's lots of great things that the American church does, but the consumer mindset is like, what can you do for me? How can you meet my family's needs? You know, we went to uh, a gateway conference, big gateway, gateway church out in uh, north of Dallas. They have 15,000 people on their main campus. They've got other satellite churches. And we were at a leaders conference, and they said, one, one of their leaders said they only, out of one new person, did, they, did the new person ever say, what, how can I serve the church? Instead of, they're more is like, what kind of kids ministry do you have? What kind, what's your worship like? What kind of discipleship program do you have? There was only one person in his 10 years or so that he went there they said how can I serve the church and even for them you know there's just like you know this is this is a rare attitude in the church where you come and, and you're looking to help build instead of looking to consume and so what happens in the American church for the most part is pastors are turned into marketing executives and they're trying to figure out how to get people in and how to keep them. And when you and what you what you use to keep people, you have to use that, or what you use to get people through the door, you got to keep feeding that to keep them in the seats. And so it takes a lot of resources. So then you have pastors worried about money. And and so it just gets away about what it's really about, and it's the, it's the presence of the Lord. And I always think about, does this work in the bush in Africa? Is what we're trying to do work in the bush of Africa? That's like my reference point. And we don't, I'm not, this is not, I'm, I'm saying, we do, I'm not exempting the awakening from anything. I'm, I'm just saying, like, does this work in the Iranian? persecuted church is this work in China what are they gathering around they're gathering around the presence of God that's it and the Bible have you ever seen when there's Chinese Christians have any of y'all ever seen that video when they got brand new Bibles they they got this palette of Bibles and there's this house of Chinese Christians and they ripped the cover off and they got their Bible, and they were, they were doing this. <laughs> like, this was gold. 
And it says in Proverbs, it says, if you seek for understanding like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. How many of you, if you had $10 million on your property somewhere buried, what would you do to find that? Me and Greg were talking about this over the weekend. He said, my yard would be a mess. I'd have a, I'd rent a, I'd, I'd spend 15 grand on a backhoe and bulldoze. Because then I was like, if I find that 10 million, that's the drop in the bucket. Right? But that's like having, that's what we have here. This is eternal treasures. Guys, we're on a 70 to 80 year internship for eternity. 70 to 80 year internship. So there's unity in the fear of God. The fear, the fear of the Lord causes us to hate evil and repent of our wicked ways. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Genesis chapter 22, this is about Abraham when he was about to sacrifice Isaac. God stopped him and he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So it's the fear of the Lord is the ABCs of the faith. This is where you begin. Because when you understand what you owe God, the price that what sin has done to your relationship with God, then you can understand grace. Then you can understand mercy. There's no mercy without a death sentence. There's no mercy without the law hanging over your head saying guilty. There's no mercy, like Romans says, we were enemies of Christ before we became his sons and daughters. Who, who does that? Who says, hey, you're my enemy, you're opposing me? I want to welcome you into my family. That's, that's what Jesus does. And so while we were enemies, while we were opposed, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. This is who God is. So, when you look at the New Testament church, it started with the Jewish believers. And the Jewish believers had a head start on the Gentile believers. Because they knew, the, they knew about the fear of the Lord, right? That's what they're raising, the fear of the Lord. They, they read Job. They read the Psalms. They read Proverbs. They read the Pentateuch. They understood the fear of the Lord. And so... When God comes in with the message of grace and salvation by faith, not through the law, it was, they were so excited. But they understood the severity of God. Even, you know, Peter, according in Acts, when, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit, Peter says the people who are going to drag your body out are at the door. And it's like seemingly Peter doesn't bat an eye. And I was like, how do you do that? It was like, well, you, you have to understand, like, Peter, in, in my mind, he has such an idea and reverence for God of, like, God, 
is God. And we are not, and how dare we lie against the Holy Spirit? How dare we grieve the Holy Spirit? And so he has this understanding of the fear of the Lord. They understood what Job experienced, where Job, uh, you know, seemingly undeservingly suffered through physical ailments, family loss, financial loss, bad counsel. <laughs> and he's like, God, you, you're picking on me. I'm listening to it on the audio Bible right now. When I, when I drop. And so he's like, you've made me your target. That's what he says to God. You've made me your target to pick on. And he goes through and he, he complains. And, and I think it was a good process for Job to go through to actually complain because what's in your heart's within your heart, right? And then God says, Job, brace yourself like a man. And he goes into three chapters of what Job, you put the stars in the sky. Tell me when you did that. Job, did you say to the waves, stop here? Do you summon the hail from its storehouse? Did you call the eagle from its nest and, and arouse the bear out of its slumber? Tell me, because you know these things. So he never answers Job's questions. And at the end, when Job gets a revelation of the majesty and the fear of God, he says, I repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord says, I, ha I will have mercy on that attitude. And he double gives him double portion of everything. So when you start with the fear of the Lord, then you can truly experience grace and mercy. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. I found it easier for somebody to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So if you had to choose, like, <laughs> so people, they, they can come from different backgrounds. And I found that people, even on the, if they came from a discipline, disciplinarian, authoritarian background, like maybe say their father was that way, in my experience, this is totally subjective, but I've found it is easier for them to submit and actually become conformed and discover the love of God, the unconditional love of God and Father's heart, than those who were given everything and, and are allowed to do as they please as kids. Because they can't, they don't know the fear of the Lord. They don't know about authority. They don't know about submission. And so it's, it's, I've seen in my 15 or so years of ministry is like the authoritarian person who, who came up under that, it's a little easier for them to actually discover the mercy of God and, and, become, and become like Jesus. That's just my experience. And so I think this is the same for like Gentile believers. They're coming out of pagan worship where you're just indulging every practice of the flesh. Jewish people are already practicing a lot of, you know, things that contra that go against and, and crucify your flesh, right? They had they knew about the fear of the Lord. They knew about the law of God. So this law was on their hearts. It enabled them to receive the grace and mercy and see exactly what Jesus had done for them. And so that's why you had Corinth with such a mess, right? Because you had people like, no, we, used to, we just do whatever. I mean, we, we still go with the prostitutes. Jewish believers would have never kept sleep, 
They would never have slept with prostitutes as a form of worship. They did in Isaiah, but if you were a God-fearing Jew, you wouldn't. All right. So we're going to go through Psalm 2 here quickly, but it says, I'm using the Passion Translation, and I like the way the Passion Translation breaks this up into sections. And so the first section is Act 1. It's the nation speaking. And this is going back to that video that I just just showed us how dare the nations plan a rebellion their foolish plots are futile look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king saying let's come together and break away from the creator once and for all let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ so what we're seeing in our nation, in particular in, in some of the, the cities like Portland and Seattle and a few other places, is this throwing off, it's, it's a lawlessness. It's the manifestation of a lawlessness. And, you know, you had the chop zone where they didn't want to be, they wanted to be, it was in the name of freedom and autonomy and the first thing that they did was set up borders and, and protect it with guns. And so you have, so they actually started creating their own law, even though they didn't want to be ruled by, you know what I'm saying? So it's like this, you become what you judge type thing. And it says right here in, in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so what we're seeing manifest in our, in our cities is this spirit of lawlessness, but it's, also, it's like the Tower of Babel all over again. Let us build something great. We don't need God. We don't need God to build anything. What does Proverbs say? If you try to build a house without the Lord, you labor in vain. And so they're, they're trying to build this, this thing that exalts human wisdom, human power, human strength, human freedom. And the, the irony about freedom is, is you can only be free if you're a slave to Christ. That's how the kingdom works. It's the upside-down kingdom. So if you want freedom, you submit. That's how you get free. And so there is no freedom and man being their own God. There's rulers and power brokers who have unlimited resources. Okay? They're, they're currently in the earth. I don't know exactly who, you, who they are, but there's, they're there. And so the Bible says this. The Bible says that there's rulers there's power brokers who are devising plans to overthrow God's rule. And what has America, by and large, for the most part, had was Judeo-Christian principles that they, has guided it and that other nations have and they, they guided the form of government, the Democratic Republic, that other nations actually adopted as time went on. Obviously, as I've said before, the US, we've got grievous sins in our nation, like slavery, 
how we dealt with the Native Americans and other things. But that being said, as I've said before, we actually had a form of government that could allow for changes to be made to those laws, which I'm, if you're under a tyrant, that would never happen. So the nations are speaking and they're, trying, they're throwing off the shackles of God's law of these moral principles that guide society. We're the salt and light of the earth. So what, pres what preserves society is the Christian witness, is the Christian life. When you say, no, abortion is wrong. You say, no, hey, racism is wrong. When you say, no, you can't, that's not right in your business dealings. You, you know, you're, you're lying about something or you, you're taking money, you're stealing money, you're, you're laundering money, whatever the case may be, and you, you have to stand up in the midst of a crowd and say that's not right or this is the right thing to do. So we're salt and light. And so the Bible, and so... Mankind is in rebellion against God until we actually discover Jesus Christ, until we, we accept him as Lord and, and Savior of our life. It says in Proverbs that a man's heart rages against the Lord. I know in my time before I surrendered to Jesus, I was in rebellion and my heart would, I had rage in my heart towards God. That's part of the sin nature, that's part of the sin condition that we're born into is that there is, no matter who you are, Without Jesus, there's, there's a rage and there's a rebellion in your heart because it's, it's that root of Adam that's in you. In Romans chapter 3, it says, There is no one righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no, seek, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, and their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Jeremiah chapter 7 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give man, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Our hearts are sick apart from Jesus Christ. So act two, Father God speaks. God enthroned merely laughs at these people who are trying to throw off his his law. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Then with the fierceness of his fiery anger, he settles the issue and terrifies them to death with these words. I myself have poured out my king on Zion, my holy mountain. <laughs> but think about this. What terrorizes the devil is when you say Jesus Christ is king. When you say Jesus Christ died and resurrected, He's resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back. That scares the devil. Because this is what, <laughs> this is the Father God's answer to the rebellion. I have poured, I myself have poured out my king on Zion, my holy mountain. 
Psalm 78, verse 65 says that the Lord awoke us from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine. And I believe that in this hour, God is awaking as from a sleep like a strong man from wine. I, th I think we're, we're about to see God move powerfully. And there's going to be, so God's judgments, I, I said, I, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating because I think it helps people understand the judgments of God, is that God's judgments removes everything that hinders love. So some of God, God's judgments can be the shaking that we experience. Now, as a Christian, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the white throne judgment, it's not, are you going to heaven or hell? It's he's determining the reward that you receive for what you were faithful with in this life during your intern. For the unbeliever, it, it is the sentence of death and hell. And so, again, we have the fear of the Lord, and, and, and God is rising up like a warrior. Isaiah 42, it says, The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent and have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. I know in my prayers, there's times where I, I tell the Lord, like, Lord, are you going to, don't let the wicked get away with this. Don't let them get away with their schemes, God. And it says he, he's going to awake from his sleep. His sleep, he's not asleep, but he's going he's gonna to manifest himself. He's going to arouse his zeal like a man of war. And when you see Jesus as the captain of the Lord of hosts, that's when the fear of God's going to come, when you're going to see him in all of his might. Just like John, Ezekiel, Saul on the road to Damascus. When those guys, Daniel, when those guys encounter God, they felt like dead men. All right? And I've asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, if you show yourself to me, I would like for you to come show yourself to me as the captain of the Lord's army. Because there is, it says in the fear of the Lord there is life. So I want even if he scares the P. Rooney out of me I want that because I need that in my life. I need more of the fear of the Lord in my life. Act 3, Jesus Christ speaks. So Jesus, he starts quoting his, actually, his father, he says, I will reveal the eternal purpose of God, for he has decreed over me. And then he quotes his father. You are my favorite son. This is, it's a good thing to, to quote your father to the enemy. All right? Quote your father to the enemy. <laughs> you are my favorite son, and as your father, I've crowned you as my king eternal. Today I became your father. Ask me to give you the nations, and I will do it, and they shall become your legacy. Your domain will stretch to the ends of the earth, and you will shepherd them with unlimited authority, crushing the rebellion as an iron rod smashes jars of clay. Haggai chapter 2 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts. Anytime you read the Lord of hosts in the Old Testament, read it as the God of the armies, the warrior God, the God of the angel armies. Once more, it is a little while, and I'll shake heaven and earth, and sea and dry land. And I'll shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. 
And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now that temple he's talking about is the church. It's the corporate church. It's you and me. So Jesus is going to crush the rebellion of man. The final blow is going to be at the second coming. It's going to be at the second coming. Where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And even the kings of the earth that opposed him, there's going to be... There's going to be bloodshed. It says he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. The winepress that juice splatters up on you. It says his garment's going to be stained in blood when he comes back. Jesus is coming with a sword. And he's going to slay them with the breath of his mouth. So I'm telling you what the Bible is saying. And I will do you a disservice if I don't. Because if you're not prepared... That's on me, and I'm going to stand before God and say, I told him. All right? And this is not, even these types of messages, I'm like, this is, these aren't the funnest messages to speak. That's why a lot of preachers don't speak them. Because it cuts to the court. It cuts to my heart. I'm like preaching, I'm like, it's cutting my heart. So I, I, like, even now I have a sense of the fear of the Lord as, as, I'm, as I'm speaking to you. And that these things are heavy, these, but they're, they're cutting. The fear of God causes us to submit to his leadership now rather than later. You want to do it now. Whether humanity likes it or not, we will all fear the Lord at some point. Acts that act four as the Holy Spirit speaks. Listen to me, all you rebel kings and all you upstart judges of the earth. Learn your lesson while there's still time. Serve and worship the awe-inspiring God. Recognize his greatness and bow before him, trembling with reverence in his presence. Fall face down before him and kiss the sun before his anger is roused against you. This is what the Lord's saying, he's like, submit to me now before, rather than later so I, you can have mercy, so you can find mercy, so you can come into the family of God, so you can have life eternal and eat from the table that I've prepared for you. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 18, he doesn't take any delight in that. He doesn't wish that any man should perish. But he's saying you have to kiss the son. You have to bend the knee. You have to confess Jesus is Lord. Anything else, you have made yourself God. And, it, and he will not give his glory to another. So we fall face down before him and we kiss the son. It's just like you would honor a king and you would kiss the ring on his finger. This is the picture of Jesus. We're kissing his hand as a sign of submission and as a sign of we love you. We love you, Jesus. We're glad to bend the knee because of your great love for us. When we discover, when we have a revelation of how much Jesus loves us, that's when we bend the knee. That's when we say, you're worthy of my life. You're my king. I can't, you're doing for me what I can't do for myself. I can't save myself from my sin. How many of you were slaves to sin and you tried to get out of it in all of your strength and you just kept banging your head against the wall? Raise your hand. Who was that? It's me. That was me. And then when you, and when you bowed the knee to Jesus and you said, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to surrender, then he set you free. 
That's who our king is. He's not like the kings of the earth. The commandments of God are not burdensome is what First John says. Because he loves us. But we have to understand, he is the king. He's the king. Remember that his wrath can be quickly kindled, but many blessings are waiting for all who turn aside to hide themselves in him. And I want to share this, another <laughs> word I was talking with Greg also, and we were talking about the times we were living in. And he had got this picture. He said, I see you in a cave. He said, I just see you hiding in a cave. And I, when he said it, I knew that what that, that cave was the cave of Adullam. I knew it was the cave that David hid in. And so I looked up the meaning of the name Adullam. And the meaning of the name Adullam means justice of the people. Justice of the people. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, it says, David, therefore, now this is when he's on the run from Saul. He's in the wilderness. He's not been, he's been anointed king, but he hasn't been made king yet. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of the Dulam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So his family comes to him in, at the cave of Adullam. And everyone, listen, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with them, with him. And so for weeks, I was like, Lord, what does it mean to be hidden in the cave of Adullam? What does it mean to be hidden in the cave? And this last, this last line, sentence in Psalm 2 describes it. Blessed, blessings wait for all who turn aside to hide themselves in him. So there is only justice in Jesus Christ. There is only justice. It says that we're justified by faith. We're made right by faith. Our debts are canceled by faith, right? So justice, so if I had a problem with Chris and he, he wronged me, I can, there's nothing I can do to actually heal his heart, even though I may ask for forgiveness, I may make restitution. But there's nothing I can do to actually give him justice. What Chris has to do is actually forgive me. He has to go hide in the cave. He has to go, he has to go into Jesus Christ and do what Jesus said to do, forgive, you, forgive those who wrong you. And that's where we find justice. That's where our hearts are healed. One of the things we say around here is that nobody owes me anything, right? Because Jesus gave me everything. So hidden in Christ, hidden in the cave, that's where you're going to find justice. When, when people wrong you, when people slander you, that's where you're going to find justice is in Jesus Christ. It's not, no man can fill a hole in your heart. No man can fill a hole in your heart. So when you demand it from them and then 
And then finally what happens is you, they give it to you and you're like, didn't quite hit the spot. Didn't quite hit the spot. But when God, that's how you turn your, friend, your enemies into friends is because you don't owe me anything, man. You don't even have to apologize. I'm going to still love you. I heard Todd White say one time, some dude was like, dude, I want that Jesus stuff, man. And, you know, he was, and Todd White just kept saying, he's like, you can't make me your enemy, bro. He says, that's my choice if you're my enemy. You can't make me your enemy, bro. And I was just like, what? that's so true. I get to decide who my enemies are, right? And in Jesus Christ, I bless my enemies. And so Jesus is the rock. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 4, it says they all drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. 1 Samuel chapter 2, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Isaiah 44, 8, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you and are you my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. He's saying I'm the only rock. I'm the only God. And in Matthew 21, Jesus says, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, talking to the Pharisees, and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so he's saying, here's this stone. There's two options. You either fall on it and you're broke to pieces. You become broken. You humble yourself and you fall upon the rock that is Christ. Or it's going to crush you. Meaning, like with Judgment Day, for example, when Jesus comes, the rock is going to crush you. It's going to kill you. You will experience, that's when you will experience death eternal. So we want to, we want to be those that see this time. We fall and we're broken, humble and contrite. He says, I dwell in a high and lofty place, but also with those who are lowly and contrite of heart. 